Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today's show is a special one, is one that I recorded for Relay with my good friend and fellow Relay uh, contributor, Stephanie Flippin. If you don't know about Relay, it's a, um, basically, it's a media company that was founded by nine people, including myself and Stephanie, and Kara Coucher, and Peter Bromka, and Lindsay Hine, and Carolyn Sue, and Marcus Brown, and Zoe Rome. Just amazing group of people that I am so happy to be a part of. It's a subscription service, so for $9 a month, you get some of the best content on the internet. It's just such great stuff. Wonderful people. And I wanted to highlight this episode because we do a Coach's Corner beginning of every month. This was the one that we just did earlier this month. And it really hit well for a lot of people. I wanted to share it with everyone out there because I want you to see what you're missing. If you're not part of Relay, again, we do this every month. So we did this month, we focused on the mental side of training. Uh, so these were questions that were submitted to Stephanie and myself, and we approached them uh, in a Coach's Corner live session. And it was uh, it was really, really enjoyable. And I think it will hit home for a lot of people. That is for sure. Uh, these questions were certainly specific to the people who were asking them, but I think Jermaine to just the running community at large. So a little bit about Relay. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Relay, also, the link is in the show notes as well. You can go to patreon.com and just search for Relay. You'll see it there as well. We also have Instagram page, uh, so on and so forth. But you'll get a lot of stuff. So you get the monthly Coach's Corner. You'll get the monthly Book Club with Lindsay Hine, Carolyn Sue, and Kara Goucher. Aid Station podcast with Zoe Rome and myself. The Making Strides podcast with Carolyn Sue and Stephanie Flippin. And the Writer's Block podcast with Zoe Rome and Peter Bromka. We're also going to be start doing uh, later this month our first Ask Us Anything. So the whole group of nine contributors of Relay uh, come together and basically do a live podcast or live show with um, with all the people who follow Relay and subscribe, which is really fun because we do a, a bi-weekly call, all of us, that is kind of like a planning session. And we all say it's like the highlight of our week. We have such a good time. We're like, we should really just do this with the Relay subscribers because it really is enjoyable. It's just an amazing group of people. Something I'm just so happy to be a part of. Before we get into it, I want to shout out our sponsors today, Lagoon Sleep and Prevenex. At Lagoon Sleep, you can save 15% by using code RAMBLING. And at Prevenex, if you use the code RUNNER15, you will save 15% there. Thank you so much for listening. And now let's get into it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Coach's Corner with Stephanie and Matt. Stephanie, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great. So I guess the, yeah. the, the most pertinent question I can think of besides the great questions that we got about the mental side of training and yeah. performance and running is, um, are you still the best ultramarathon on the relay, t- best ultramarathoner on the relay team? Oh my god! Is, is there is there a new? Do we have to pass the crown or what? What's going on over here? Do we have to pass the crown to the second fastest um, masters fifty uh, k'er Peter Bromka? Amazing! Amazing! Incredible! I, Incredible! This guy went from like, hey, don't tell anybody. I might be doing this to like just crushing it, simply yeah. crushing it out there. Oh my gosh! I spent um, I I told Peter I would be doing this, but I spent my Saturday morning tracking him. Um, for the out and back at Jed Smith, and then each lap, each lap, and he was so even, Stephen. Um, I know his friend was pacing him, I think, through the first um, couple laps, um, but then, gosh, he really just stuck to it um, all the way through. So pumped for him. So I, we, I got to get him on here 
somewhere. We, yes. we got to talk to him about this because he actually said he alluded to the fact that he thought he had it, but then there was like some sort yeah. of GPS error. Mm. And then all of a sudden he didn't have it by 40 seconds. I need a little more clarification on what that sure. means in terms sure. of like, did he, did he give in or did, mm. like, did he think he had it, but he was still giving us max effort? Like I would hate sure. for there to be like a, you know, we can, yeah. all, we can all visualize like the Molly huddle finish line situations yeah. where like she gives up like a little bit and then like twice she was like passed like right at the tape yeah. and it was like oh gosh yeah, you're such sure. a legend I'm so sorry this happened but it's like yeah. oh no what, what was this I know. I think another thing too is I um, I really wish that across the board, like USATF and other agencies, would um, be better about keeping up with like current records, particularly as it pertains to the ultra distances. Because um, I had a couple sites pulled up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this one site still has like the 2002 record that was like three flat. This USATF That's the one that I saw. Has, I was like, oh, yeah, Peter smashed it. So he has it right, but then Fernando Cabada ran. Um, I can't remember oh. exactly what his split was last year um, at Mad City 50K. I was there in person. Um, and yeah, so Fernando's result has not been uploaded to all of the USATF um, lists. So that's the, that's what was really confusing, too, for anyone kind of um, who's a fan of Peter and was following along and trying to figure things out. So I, I was frustrated, but um, still an incredible performance and an incredible day. It really is amazing. Like This, yeah. is, this is insane. And all the pictures yeah. of him are like... Being so delightful on the run. Is, yeah. is, is 50K pace just like a delightful pace to run? He's even <laughs> smiling the whole time. 50k road pace does to me is not delightful <laughs> um you know i i feel like i always talk about like you know for any like athletes looking to make the leap from the marathon to 50k i, I always say it is not just extending your marathon effort you know six miles you, you really it's it's like negligible especially for someone of peter's fitness right the delta between all of his paces is going to be much smaller um you know than like the amateur average runner um but still like still averaging what i mean he was so even like 542s 543s five i think yeah. his lowest his slowest um average lap was 544 so yeah i was gonna he, say he never even hit 550s no mm -mm. that's insane that's great yeah. did you have any runners doing that race i did not no i had um i had the majority of my athletes this past weekend racing mesa oh that's right yeah, yeah of course so, that was the big one yeah for sure yeah. um all right, we're going to get into some questions. We might as well just dive into the question that was like the perfect yeah. segue to what you were just talking about, yeah. right? Um, yeah. At the risk of completely embarrassing myself, I will read this question. I will say this. I remember reading the play 1776, my sophomore year of high school. The we were just reading it like in class. Like everyone had a mm. part or whatever. And um, we were sitting at our desk. We weren't like acting it out, but it was just part of like the literature class. And mm -hmm. the teacher saying, I, I you know, stumbled through this section kind of like how I'm stumbling through this story. And basically the teacher at the end was like, I don't want you to ever do any public speaking or reading ever again. Oh no. Jokes oh on gosh. you, buddy. It's my, <laughs> yeah. my job now. But um, Mr. Roland, I felt you at that moment because I was right. I was in full agreement. I was like, yes, kudos to that. Okay, here we go. Here's the question. All right. So all these are anonymous, but I uh, will say, I enjoy running far, but I'm looking at making the leap from doing 50 milers as my longest ever distance to my first 100 miler in the fall. How do I conceptualize and build mental strength in training, knowing I'll be running twice as far as I ever have? I was going to say, um, it's no joke. It's not a coincidence that most of these were directed to you, 
because most sure. of these are like right in your wheelhouse. So this sure. one obviously is is one of those. So yeah. you have lived this and yeah, you have coached people through this. So yeah. I guess let's we'll kick this off to you. Yeah. Well, first things first, you know, I think um, making that leap um, to the hundred mile distance, it's always, it, there's, it's always going to come with like fears and being like, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to do this? Largely because like, there's really no one in training that's ever going to run a hundred mile training run in prep for a hundred mile race. Um, unless you're in a very um, specific category, you know, of like a very high level um, ultra runner, um, like I'm Zach Bitter comes to mind. Um, he, he just raced Rocky Raccoon, but is a very like B slash seagull race over the weekend. Um, in which know, case that, that person wouldn't even be nervous. Exactly. <laughs> um, so those are outliers there. Um, you know, I really enjoyed this question um, just because it's one of those things where you really have to consider the accumulation um, of miles, not just within that singular training block, um, but within your whole like running life and career. Um, I think that's the first thing to consider. And we can really apply this to many, many other distances too. We don't have to just hone in on like that 50 mile distance jumping up to hundred mile either. Um, but I think the key there is realizing that you are going to be building accumulation of volume on your legs, on your body. Um, and it's really in those long training runs that you put in that you need to be visualizing the fact that it's going to be hard. Like it's not going to be easy. Like you're not going to be sailing through the race. You're not going to get to mile 75 and be like, Oh great. Like I'm three quarters of the way done. I've done, you know, dozens of, of um, road marathons at this point. It's just another marathon. I think coming to grips with the fact that like, it's going to be hard. Um, like I've, I've raced 10 hundred milers now and like none of them have been easy. Like some of them, like, you know, from a different perspective have been like, okay, this was less painful because I trained in a certain way. Um, I prepared in a certain way for this. Um, but I feel like the more times you expose yourself to difficult situations within training, and I know this is something um, that Steve Magnus talks about a lot. It's something that I like bring up to my athletes constantly is expecting it to be hard, but kind of exposing yourself to those hard and tough situations in training so that you can give yourself an opportunity to work through like really, really low points um, and, and places where you're like, oh my gosh, like this, this sucks. I don't feel well right now. But the great thing is, is that I'm on a training run right now. I'm not actually in a race environment and I can work through this so that if this does happen on race day, I know what to do and I have a toolkit for it. And I think you and I, Matt, have spoken about this before um, in a previous coach's corner um, as well. Um, at the same time, um, I feel like very specific tricks that I like to um, like recommend for athletes like that are looking to make this leap in distance is I love training partners. I love running with friends. It's wonderful. It makes the time go by. Um, you know, I think we can all think about like an hour on the treadmill versus like an hour outside with friends. It's like vastly different, right? It feels like five minutes outside with friends. Um, but I think it's really important um, to not do all of your training with friends or with someone that's like pacing you. Like, you know, my husband Mitchell 
like carrying bottles for me, biking with me. It's important to get in those key long runs where you're by yourself. It's it's simul- simulating you at, like I said, at mile 80 and the, you know, the field is very spread out and you are by yourself. Maybe you have a pacer at that point. Um, but like I said, kind of putting yourself in those tough positions to help callous your mind, um, to help develop that mental strength um, in order to know that, yeah, you are, you, you're going to finish this, um, but it's, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to fight for it. Is there much of a difference in 50K, 50, 50, 50 mm-hmm. mile? Mm-hmm. Um, to 100K? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I'm trying to think of the wording here. Like fi- mm. 50 mile fitness, I guess, mm. versus mm-hmm. 100 mile fitness? Or is this just a matter of like, you need to build the strength. And in order sure. to build the strength, you need to kind of do the distance kind of feel? Yeah, I do feel like there's a huge difference um, between 50 mile um, fitness and 100 mile distance. But as it pertains to like if you're going for a specific place like if this is like a mountain trail race um you know versus like you just completing the 50 mile race um and there's an enormous difference between like 50 mile like a, a flatter either road or less technical um you know trail um you know tunnel hill is that perfect example to me um you know if i were to line up at tunnel hill 50 versus like the 100 my pacing would be wildly wildly different um just because that is not a technical race um and there's not an enormous amount of elevation gain um i feel like for athletes who are new to ultra distance um you know me personally i don't always race a 50 miler or 100k in training in a lead up to a 100 mile race but that's because i'm used to going 100 miles i know what it feels like i've spent my very first hundred mile race, I, I'm always so candid about this. It took me over 30 hours to complete. Granted, this was a mountain race, you know, super technical, um, you know, bushwhacking type deal at altitude, but I've been on my feet for 30 plus hours, um, you know, so I know what that feels like. Um, but for athletes who like this is very new to them, it might be of benefit to build in a hundred K race, like in your buildup, um, making sure you're leaving plenty of plenty of time. You know, it's not this, it's not like the typical, like, you know, if you're lining, if you're training for Boston and you're racing, you know, a half marathon four weeks out, like that gives you plenty of time to recover from the half. If you raced it full out and then, you know, kind of get in a couple more weeks of big, you know, big mileage, but then taper back in. Um, you know, if you're someone that's like, uh, like I've only gone 50 K and I want to make that leap to hundred mile distance. Like I would re- definitely recommend at least building in a 50 miler or hundred K in training. But like I said, leaving like a, you know, at least six weeks, uh, for, for adequate recovery. Right. And it sounds like this person is ex- somewhat experienced in 50 miles. So maybe mm-hmm. even that isn't while probably giving her the physical stimulus needed mm-hmm. to com- complete the hundred, maybe isn't giving her the mental Right. confidence and yeah. belief and yep. trust and and i think obviously like you said like if 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 all you're going to need is like proof that you've already done the distance in order to do the distance well then you are like in a catch-22 cycle right right so exactly. th- that's not going to be very helpful however mm-hmm. i'm thinking about you know plenty of other you know ultra runners who maybe have kind of like a go-to like mini camp or mm-hmm. three-day block or something along those lines that Mm -hmm. they use as kind of like their go-to like okay now if i can do this i'm ready kind of like Mm -hmm. how people do like the yasos 800s for the sure the the marathon Mm -hmm. as like not only a workout but like okay this checked the box for me now i know i'm prepared because i've done this before and i can make an Mm -hmm. apples to apples comparison is there something similar that comes to you uh, along those lines yeah certainly um as i've kind of progressed over the years like within coaching though i have 
there is so much benefit and merit in something like I'm just going to use like the Western States, like training camp that goes at the end of May. It always goes about a month out um, from the race. I think that's really, really beneficial. You know, it's staged over three days, uh, three to four days, and it helps, you know, any, anyone can sign up for it. It's not just for elites um, and it helps you cover the entire race course, um, but, but chunked up into individual days, um, you know, and of course you can choose, you can go as, as slow or as fast as you want on it, but it's really more of like a course recon um, for athletes. Um, I do recommend camps like that. And like, you know, like I just said, course recon days like that. Um, I have many athletes, like for example, over in the UK who like I recommend doing that for, they've been doing that, you know, in their preparation for races like Lakeland 100 or Dragon's Back, um, where those types of courses are, it's, it's just difficult to get like, one solid um, kind of go on on courses like that, especially through the winter. Um, but at the same time, like, I think that's beneficial for some people, but others who may have like an injury history um, and just maybe like any history of like BSIs and, or overuse injuries, I do like, like to caution, um, like don't implement back to back to back long runs, like too often. I think in my opinion, that's a one time per season. Um, you know, if we're really looking at like a 20 miler, a 22 miler, a 25 miler, like in three consecutive days like that, that's a one time per training block, um, with plenty of recovery built in. Um, like I said, as I've kind of progressed over the years coaching, I have kind of backed off from those super, super intense, like back to back long runs. Um, I'm talking like 50 K, you know, like 25 to 30 miles, like on Saturday, followed up by like an 18 miler or something like that on Sunday. There's a lot of risk for injury with that. Um, so just being really careful and cognizant of your own personal training history. And I'm assuming with those, like pace is of no importance. It's more like time right. on feet, building yeah. strength and yep. maybe doing some sort of vert if it's kind of like a replica of, of the race course you're going to be doing. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I would really um, caution against trying to like push the effort on those types of days. And it, like I said, it really is like course recon. Um, it's it's right. not like, oh, how fast can I cover the distance? Right. Upping the intensity and upping the, the, <laughs> yeah. the duration at right. the same time. Not, <laughs> yeah. not the best way of getting to the starting line. Um, yeah. I would also wonder this, especially with 100 milers, where mm -hmm. so often people talk about like just getting through these is, is also yeah. kind of like a it's a it's a troubleshooting experiment mm -hmm. for a lot yeah. of people. So yeah. is there especially from a again, building trust, building belief, mm -hmm. strengthening the mind, would it greatly benefit somebody to maybe be part of someone else's 100 mile crew mm, prior yeah. to doing their own 100 just Definitely. so they can see this in real time? Yeah. That's such a great point, Matt. Um, usually one of the first things that I recommend to athletes who are like, hey, Steph, I want to like I do want to race a 100 miler. I think that's going to be more of like a 2024, 2025 goal. Um, what the, the first thing I recommend is either, yes, crewing, um, helping crew someone, a friend, a family member, um, helping to pace a, a, a friend or family member. And then also I highly, highly recommend volunteering um, at a race, um, at an aid station. I think that is really, really key. Um, I have an athlete um, that, you know, drove out to Western States last year, you know, volunteered at one of the main aid stations. And I, I felt like that was an invaluable experience for her. Um, you know, she hasn't been targeting a hundred mile race, but she had been wanting to kind of dip her toes into the trail and ultra world and really just get more familiar um, with how things work and how it's different from the road scene. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of benefit in doing that. Um, and, it, you know, a positive bonus is you're giving back um, to the community as well. Absolutely. Anything else you want to hit before you go to the next one? Um, 
let's see, just last piece of the puzzle there, um, fueling. I mean, nutrition yeah, and oh, hydration. Gosh, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like that's half the battle um, when you're looking to extend distances again, not just from 50 mile to 100 mile, but if you're even just looking to go from like, you know, the marathon to the 50K to the 50 mile, um, really making sure you have your nutrition dialed in. Like I said, to me, it's, it's like half the battle um, in addition to like the physical and mental strength that you have to build. Well said. All right. A related question, just for some of our, our shorter distance friends. How do I work on having the mental confidence that I can sustain my marathon effort for 26.2 miles when in training, I've only run 10 to 12 miles continuously at that same effort? I just want to say to the person who said rent this, who wrote this question in, kudos to you, because running 10 to 12 miles of marathon effort in the middle of the training block is incredibly difficult. So yes. <laughs> congratulations on a fantastic workout, my friend. I don't know when Great. your marathon is, but if it's a couple months away, you are doing very very well at this point um, in the effort. I guess the first thing I would say on this one, and obviously we're going to go back and forth and provide this, is that like yeah. you're no different than anybody else. No one else yes. is going to be yes. like doing 18 miles at yes. marathon pace because yes. if they are, it's probably not their marathon pace. Yeah. They could probably go a little faster or they like tapered into a workout, which <laughs> is not the same thing that you're probably going to be doing here, right? So um, it's a little different. For sure. But I would say the first thing I would tell people is like, hey, this is what everyone's doing. This is just kind yes. of what it is. Yeah. And also, like, we're talking about, like, building up confidence to hold your marathon pace. Remember, your marathon pace is not, like, this maximal effort. You're not going at, like, lactate threshold where you're like, oh, I can't hold the pace anymore. I'm running out of steam. I'm, red I'm redlining, right? It's like, that's not what's going to fall apart. It's not going to be like, hey, I've been huffing and puffing for eight miles now and I just can't hold it anymore. That's not going to be the deleterious effects of race day. It's going to be more of like, can I, can my body hold up? Am I strong enough? Am I pacing myself well enough? And I think like assuming that your pacing is done well and assuming that you know what marathon effort is, it's more about being strong enough in the final miles not to have your body betray you so that you can keep running that pace. And I say this as somebody whose body has betrayed me so often that I feel mm. like we should, we should I'm like I'm holding my body hostage and it's trying to like, you know, get back at me for something. So I think ultimately the, the thing that you're worrying about actually isn't, isn't the big deal. The big deal is, are you putting in enough miles, not just in this mm. training block, but over an extended period of time, just like Stephanie said about our hundred miler friends um, that you're going to be strong enough in that third in that third hour in in that mm -hmm. fourth hour in that fifth hour depending on how fast you're running this where your body is still going to be able to you know do basically to work the way it's supposed to work so that you can take advantage of the fitness that you've accrued all right, everybody, I want to take a quick break and give a shout out to Lagoon. That's right, Lagoon Sleep. You heard me in the intro talking about their pillows. Oh, my gosh, they are amazing. This year, I'm really trying to take better care of myself, both before and after my runs. And one of the areas that I'm really focusing on is sleep and not just about the time you the time you spend in bed obviously that's important but also being sure you have quality and not just quantity and that's a big thing right we talk about all the time with training quantity and quality same thing with sleep and part of that is your pillow i have the fox pillow that was the one that i got after taking the online quiz which was really interesting to take because you, you figure out like what what exactly do i need what do i need my pillow for how do i sleep what are my preferences 
and it makes a big difference. And this is a pillow I've had for over a month now. It's coincided with my biggest 30 days of training that I've ever had. And I feel really, really good. And I know a big reason for that is because of how I'm sleeping and how I'm sleeping is affected by my pillow and things are just going so well for me. Waking up from my morning runs has never felt better. I'm refreshed. I'm pain-free in large part thanks to Lagoon Pillow. So go to lagoonsleep.com. That's L-A-G-O-O-N sleep.com forward slash rambling. Take their awesome two-minute sleep quiz to find your match and then use code rambling for 15% off your first purchase today. Yeah. Well said, Matt. Um, first off, I love that. Like the first thing you said is that like, you are not alone in this. Like, you know, like I think that's so important because I feel like a lot of times, um, when I have athletes reach out, I mean, that's such a common question and such a, like a a central like point, right. On like pre-race, you know, pre-marathon calls, um, and, you know, and chatting through like the nerves and the anxiety that, um, inevitably pops up, you know, as, as we enter race week. Um, but I love that, that it's like, you are just like everyone else when it comes to those types of nerves um, and that worry that like, oh my gosh, I only went, um, you know, 10 to 12 miles like at marathon effort um, in training. Um, I think Matt and I have touched on this in the past, but it's like, like Matt said, if if you are able to run 18 miles at like your quote marathon effort, A, it's probably, you know, it's probably not your true marathon effort and you, you're probably leaving something on the table and you're leaving your best like, and, or you're leaving your best work in training. Um, and there was your race right there. Um, I think I've done it. I I, I could, I can visualize the 16 miler I did. I think we talked about, yeah, yeah. And I could like, it sticks in my head every time. Like I happen to scroll by in Strava, I like want to bang my head against the wall. I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah. It's like, I just felt good that day. And I'm like, that was so dumb. Why did I do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, um, one of my current athletes had a kind of, like, not not the same at all. Like, it wasn't, like, 16 miles by any means, but we're, like, earlier in her training block for Boston, um, you know, and I had built in plenty of, like, recoveries, um, you know, like, longer sustained, like, marathon effort over the weekend, but um, she ended up texting me, and she was like, Steph, like, I got into a flow state, like, it felt really, really good, so I just ran it continuously. Was that okay? Um again, like this wasn't like 16 miles at, you know, running at like 655s like she was, um, you know, I think it ended up being probably like 45 minutes max. Now, I think that's um, like, maybe this is a little bit of a tangent there, but um, I think that's really important though, to realize like, and like, you're like, Hey, this is a great feeling day. Like I'm feeling really good. There are times when you could kind of, t- you can take advantage of that. Um, and my response to her was not like, Oh my gosh, why did you deviate from the plan? No, 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 no. Instead, like for, to me, it's like, no, I'm re- I'm proud of you for being intuitive and, and kind of like going with what felt good on the day, but also being intelligent about like not overreaching. You know, she kept it right within her marathon effort. She didn't like start throwing down threshold miles, like within there. Um, you know, and I think for some of our more um, like mature, like just athletes that have been in the sport for a long time, so their training age is a bit older. Um, I think those types of sessions are really beneficial. Um, you know, and Matt, I've seen your coach um, kind of like talk about um, the benefits of like moderate slash steady steady state running. You know, in the in the second half of long runs, I'm a big fan of those as well, and, and kind of like going with what your body um, wants to do on the day. Uh, but just being sure you're like holding back and not kind of leaving it all out there. Yeah, I, I would I would tell this person, anyone who's interested in this kind of thing, I know Misty's in the chat and she said you, she, she meant to ask this exact same question. Mm. 
And that is like, if you're worried about how you're going to be in the last 10K, the last eight miles or so of the marathon, then it's really about like what kind of, you know, how many two and a half hour, you know, two to three hour runs did you put in over the last <laughs> three six nine months i think that's yes. going to be the telltale sign of how strong yeah. you are and how ready mm-hmm. you are uh yeah. to compete that because again marathon effort mm-hmm. is you know for most people we're talking about below your aerobic threshold mm-hmm. right or right around yeah. your aerobic threshold so if you're fueling properly mm-hmm. and you know what your marathon effort is mm-hmm. then that's not going to be the issue the issue right. is going to be are you strong enough mm-hmm. to handle it mm-hmm. not are you fast enough yeah. to handle it. And I think that yeah. has been my, Gee. when I was a younger runner, that was like my biggest misunderstanding of this whole thing that I thought mm-hmm. this was a, 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 speed, a speed issue. issue. And it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't yeah. at all. It wasn't even yeah. connected to it in any way. Mm-hmm. And it was why like I would be training with people and we do training runs and I'd be like, Oh, I'm, I'm probably going to run this marathon faster than them. And I wasn't like trying to be braggadocious about sure. it. it just, I just was handling the runs better than they were. But the fact mm-hmm. of the matter was is that like I wasn't ready for the marathon because they had been mm-hmm. putting in years of work sure. strengthening. So yeah. when they hit mile 19, because yeah. we're doing 12, 14 mile runs, when they hit mile 19, they were in a completely different world than I was in. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Such, such a very good point. Um, I also like to remind athletes too that like, well, yes, like the long run is our most specific run of the week, like in relation to the marathon it's also about like those consistent, like six to eight mile runs that you're putting in, you know, on a regular basis and not just like, you know, if if I take a look at someone's training calendar and it's like, Hmm, they kind of averaged like two to three runs per week, you know, like, yeah, they may have been getting in their long runs, but there's not like additional consistency that's bolstering like that long run. It, to me, it becomes that that's when it becomes more of like a wild card on how like race day is going to go. Um, you know, and I, I never like to kind of have that conversation like as a coach, cause it's like, like I have some athletes who are still athletic. Like they've been like playing sports, like, and, and running, like not like running, like con- consistent marathon training, but like different sports, like soccer, basketball, things like that. And it's like, I still want to be able to rely on their athleticism, but at the same time, like the marathon is just different and it really does rely on like consistency in order to be able to like, kind of like accurately project like how, how you're going to feel and how race day is going to go. Right. I mean, if you're basically like doing like a mini taper every week into your long run, then you can't derive as much information from your long run. Right. Right. You know, as opposed to someone who's like, Hey, you know, not even that, but like, you know, putting in normal miles or being like, hey, I do I do my long run. Then I run 10 miles the next mm-hmm. day. And like, how do you feel after, during that 10 mile effort? Right. That mm-hmm. might be a good barometer for like how's how yeah. how strong you're getting. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're like, hey, first time I tried to do that at like the four mile mark, my legs were like, all right, I'm done. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm going home. As yeah. opposed to like maybe near the end, you're like, hey, I could have done 14 today. Like I, mm-hmm. I felt pretty good. Like that's a great, mm-hmm. a great sign. I know sure. Misty is here. Um I shouldn't have said that because that just completely ruined the anonymity of the question. But anyway, it was not that big of a deal. I think, Missy, <laughs> Missy, um, this is a great question. I think everybody who will be mm-hmm. listening to this or watching this has felt this feeling before. So I think this is um, this is something that is completely universal, just like our marathon question that just mm-hmm. came through. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is about race anxiety. Struggling with race anxiety. I've seen a pattern where I go into a race with a plan to run the race as a workout. It takes the anxiety and pressure off, and I end up running a great race. 
I don't seem to have too much anxiety when it comes to the hard workouts. How can I work to switch my mindset on race day to feel confident yet relaxed? Mm. I like yeah. this. Yeah, that's a really, really good question, Misty. Um, it's something that like I, I'll, I'll always be very honest about. Um, I, I have personally struggled with not just like race day anxiety, but I've struggled with workout anxiety um, for quite a bit. It, I think I feel like it reached its peak like in 2019. Um, and that probably largely has to do with the fact that I was going after a very like time specific goal, like a time standard. And there was like kind of like a hard line, like drawn in the sand. Like it's, it's and there was, be... a, and there was some freckled guy who was going to ask you <laughs> questions about it every month <laughs> sure. as part of a podcast series. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think, you know, like, I think it does come down to like personality as well. Like, you know, most of us, um, most of us as runners, like we're very type A it's like, and I think a lot of us are even more so that, especially when we have a coach, we're given a plan. I'm like a rule follower. I want to check every box. Even though I tell all of my athletes, like, we're not striving for perfection here. We're not striving for A plus, like an A plus, like training block. We're not looking to check every single box perfectly. Um, but at the same time, like I say that, but I, I also, I struggle like with like, you know, deviating from the plan when I really need to, um, I think I, I don't feel, Misty, that like you need to necessarily like change your outlook. I think a lot of it is kind of reminding yourself that like you are worthy of having a wonderful and strong day like yesterday, two years ago, today and tomorrow and weeks and years from now. Um, and I don't necessarily think that you have to like change your mindset from like, OK, this is a race versus a workout. I, I like to tell a lot of my athletes that like, hey, like this marathon that we're lining up for tomorrow or, you know, this weekend, whatever, it's, it, it is, it really is just another long run. And I don't want to, I don't want to downplay anyone's goals, like by saying that, but truly like it's, it's your peak long run, like of your training block. It's a celebration of all of the hard work that you put in and you're not going to be a different human, like in value, like however way the race pans out. Um, another point that I usually really, really like to bring up to my athletes um, on pre-race calls is that we need to always be removing races, even if they are A-goal races, from a pedestal. Like, even every single A-goal race is a jumping off point. It's a springboard to your next goal. It's a springboard to your next, like, set of fitness that you're going to focus on. Um, you know, and it's barring any, like, significant, like, injury or illness or anything like that. Like, our running journeys are continuous. There's no like end point. It, I mean, you can, and you can make your, your running journey, whatever you want it to be. Right. I think that's kind of the beauty of the sport. You don't have to just stay on a path of like racing, you know, five Ks. You also don't have to stay on a path of just racing half marathons or road marathons. There's, there's always options to like head on onto the trails. Even if you don't like trails, it's the sport really isn't just like trail or road. You know, there are relays with friends that you can get involved in. There's backyard ultras where it's like, you know, you can run four and a quarter miles like on the hour. You know, it's there's there's tons of different like ways um, to mix things up to kind of keep things to where you're not feeling like you're just like locked into this one path. Um, again, maybe I went on, on a, a bit of a tangent there, um, but I don't think that the mindset is wrong and that like, you know, really viewing, you know, races as like, this is another workout and it's an opportunity to like showcase my fitness. And it's not something that it's not like a litmus test either, um, to like prove my fitness, but what are your yeah. thoughts on that, Matt? 
Exactly. When I think of, and this can manifest itself in a lot of different ways for different people and can certainly change for the same person over time. Um, but when I think of race day anxiety, and Missy, you can tell us if we're wrong. I know you're in the chat right now. Um, I think I think of pre-race, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? And I guess this yeah. part of this is just like my, my own experience as someone who, like anyone else, like deals mm-hmm. with, with, with things like this, right? This is not like, mm-hmm. you are not on an island right. with this yeah. stuff. And, and nor mm-hmm. is it nor is it athletic specific, mm-hmm. right? I mean, right. There's, yeah. there are plenty of people who, like, say, professional musicians, mm-hmm. same sort of thing, right? They're on a, they are literally on a stage in front mm-hmm. of people. And I know we, I, I've heard people talk about this, like, just how they how they interpret the signals within their body. You know, some people are like, this is race anxiety. And someone's like, will experience the same thing called race day excitement. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not minimizing it. Part mm-hmm. of this is under our control and part of it isn't. But I will say, mm-hmm. I think race anxiety, I think day of before the race. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I also, I think part of that is, okay, what's different on race day? Well, first of all, it's like oftentimes this comes down to like forecasting what could be and what happens mm-hmm. if and mm-hmm. retroactively judging what has happened before mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the guise of what is about to just, what is about to occur. Right. Mm-hmm. So more specifically, it's kind of like, OK, if this doesn't go well, what does that mean? Does it mm-hmm. mean that everything I've done prior was wrong? Does it mean that I was mm-hmm. wasting my time? Does it mean that I put in all this energy in something and I'm not getting better at it? Does it mean that I've been wasting my time and money and mental energy and emotional energy and time for my family? And there is an endless list. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. exhausted it on my own behalf many, many mm-hmm. times. Right. And there's other parts of like that race day anxiety of like, okay, like if, again, this is, if it doesn't go well. And then also like the, the feeling of like, okay, the, the, this is the culmination. Again, mm-hmm. you use the word mm-hmm. limits test. And I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a lot. Mm-hmm. Also, it tends mm-hmm. to fade away the mm-hmm. minute the gun goes off, yeah. which is like the hysterical part. Mm-hmm. And I know this because I have done over 700 podcasts in my life. I am nervous before every yes. single one, mm-hmm. every single one. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't gone away. I've been doing a lot, mm-hmm. done a lot more podcasts and races. And I get nervous mm-hmm. for every single one of these. So I'm going to get nervous for every race. But we do know that it fades away as soon as yes. the race starts for the most of us. Right. In addition to that, you just have to understand and try to like, again, it's not going to all stop. But I think that coming to grips with the um, understanding that nothing that's going to happen that day is going to change anything mm-hmm. positively or negatively. Or negatively. Right? Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. – I think sometimes we focus on like, all right, if something bad happens, I'm still going to be fine. And that's true. But I think you have to also understand that there isn't some opportunity cost on the other end either where like mm-hmm. if I if I just do well, then oh – that will mean that I will reach yeah. this new level. Aha. Mm-hmm. It's like, with all due respect, no. Yeah. Cause once you're there, you're going to feel the same way. You the next race. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so you, you're not missing out if that doesn't mm-hmm. work out, right? You want to run well. And all of that is true, but mm-hmm. you're going to be just fine. So I think eliminating yeah. this forecasting and this preemptive judgment cycle Mm-hmm. ultimately is going to eliminate some of this and that none of that stuff happens with a workout when we do work on anxiety it's usually based on like if this workout if i do well in this workout yeah. it means xyz for yeah. my race right mm-hmm. um it's like it's a workout anxiety connected to a race right mm-hmm. and i think the other part here is that when we have these feelings 
not only do they fade away at the start line once the gun goes off, but also they negatively impact your race. <laughs> and this is something that is very real. Like the, in my former life as a basketball player and a basketball coach of like, you'd see <laughs> people who for a big game for the 20 minute layup lines, part of that game, they are so hyped. They are so nervous energy or anxious energy, or they're just like really happy, positive energy. And they are flying through layup lines. They are like Mm -hmm. just flying Mm -hmm. and they are like, and and not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, they are at a fever pitch Mm -hmm. and it screws them in the beginning of the game. Cause they have just literally left it. Like they, they, they exhausted themselves prior to this, prior to the game. And I've seen this. I have, it has happened to me as well on race day where mm-hmm. even if i'm not like killing it in a warm-up run or the strides mentally i'm just at this fever pitch where it's like by the time the race starts i have i have exhausted myself and it has mm-hmm. negatively affected my race so mm-hmm. again it's kind of like you don't want to go too far down that road because like it's kind of like i can't sleep because i'm thinking about like how i can't sleep and now i can't sleep because i'm thinking i'm not i can't sleep and if i, if I don't sleep then i'm going to be tired tomorrow but now mm-hmm. the thought of being tired tomorrow means i can't sleep is kind of get into that cycle, but just understand maybe the best thing to do before a race is to literally be like, try to go monk mode as much as you can or mm-hmm. find friends at the starting line and just chit chat, just listen to what's going on and just try to get a subdued yeah. thing going prior mm-hmm. to the race. Even if you are feeling these feelings and if you can't get those feelings out of your mind, at least try to put them in a corner or put them mm-hmm. in the front seat, right? Alright, feelings. You can come on this journey with me. This is like the Melissa Gilbert thing from Big Magic. Like you can you can come in the car with me. You're part of this family too. Race anxiety. I'm not gonna tell you to stay home. You can come with me to the race, but you're gonna sit here in the front seat and you're not gonna touch the radio. You're not gonna tell me how to drive. And for mm-hmm. God forbid, you are never, ever, ever to touch the steering wheel. And yeah. you just kind of keep it there. Yeah, that reminds me, Matt, that analogy reminds me a lot of um, an analogy that I believe Jesse Thomas, um, former um, professional triathlete, um, mentioned about, uh, he mentioned like thoughts and like race day, like anxiety and nerves being like birds flying over your head. And he's like, it's fine. You can let them fly, but just don't let them nest. Uh, And I always like, I, that's like a great, like, and the analogy you use too is wonderful. Um, But a lot of those types of like visual cues, um, they remind me of things that like my own, like sports psychologist, um, like has talked through with me. Um, Again, like I acknowledge that like having a sports psychologist, like, or a therapist, like, you know, I understand that's not accessible to everyone. Um, but I, I highly encourage that if it is something, um, you know, that you have the means to do and explore, even if, even if it's like a one-time like thing, like with a sports psychologist, um, it's really, really beneficial. Um, especially if you're working with someone that like really understands athletes, you know, and, and Matt, I think you have, uh, I think actually you and I both have a lot of strengths there. Just, you know, your history as a basketball player, I have a long history in like ballet and like public speaking and things like that. Um, and just having to work through, um, different, like, I don't want to say ticks, but like uh, over the years, like I, I've had certain things that like, kind of pop up that like my body just involuntarily does like, and it's, it's not just unique to like race day though. I do it on race day as well, but like before I have to give a speech, you know, like you mentioned podcasts, like public speaking, things like that. Um, and something that my sports psychologist um, mentioned to me is she was like, you need to like stop carrying kind of like shame or embarrassment 
over those types of things that your body is just involuntarily doing. She was like, and you need to be reframing it and labeling, labeling it as something that your body is doing solely to like protect you. It knows you're preparing for something. Your autonomic nervous system like is on fire. It knows you're about to kind of put yourself in quote danger, even though it's not, you know, like a physical danger, you know, but it's, it's kind of like the most human, like, you know, like innate response to these types of situations. And she has reminded me, she's like, you, you need to look at it as having gratitude for your body, like trying to like care for you and like be strong for you. Um, and I feel like that has been so instrumental for me. Um, just her telling me that it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm someone like I'm a doctor by day. It's like that, that analogy right there, it's, it's very impactful for me. Cause I'm like, oh, yeah, like this is my autonomic nervous system just responding in the way at the most basic genetic level that it knows how to. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's helpful um, for other athletes. Hey guys, as runners, joint pain is something that we all deal with and sometimes we deal with it constantly. Our joints take a pounding and it can derail our training. We've all been there, but I've got a proven solution for you. I want to talk to you about my experience with Joint Health Plus from my friends at Prevenex. This is the joint supplement for runners, and I can personally attest to the benefits that I felt in the, at this point, I've taken it for a couple of years, and it's been a big deal for me, for sure. I've noticed a huge reduction in joint pain, and my joints recover much quicker from workout to workout, and I'm able to just know that my joints are being protected. So why is it so great for runners specifically? Well, here's the deal. The main ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain and stiffness and improve joint flexibility in just seven to, ten, seven to 10 days. That's right, just seven to 10 days, which is almost unheard of. And beyond that, it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blind, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. I'm telling you, this is the joint supplement for runners, and I can't recommend it enough. If joint longevity, performance, and everyday health matters to you, visit Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first purchase. Best of all, Prevenex has a 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't feel the benefits, you can simply return the product, no questions asked, which is just amazing. All right, let's get back into the show. And I think another thing too, to kind of not let the waves crash in is... Mm -hmm. um. Now I'm really mixing my metaphors, but really it's to, to kind of keep them at bay mm -hmm. is to maybe create some sort of routine. Again, maybe you're not racing yeah. a ton to practice this routine, but you come up with something that's fairly similar to what you do uh, for a workout, but just so that you can, you have something to focus on. So it's not like, mm -hmm. all right, you checked in, you got your bib, you fixed your bib, you're mulling around the starting line for the next 45 minutes. What am I doing here? What am I going mm -hmm. to do? You can say, oh, this is what I'm going to do. So from, you know, from 45 minutes to 25 minutes i'm gonna go on a light warm-up run to like to, to do that right so then after 25 minutes i'll kind of walk back to the starting line and maybe i'll go to the bathroom right and all of a sudden there's let's say like the, the bathroom line takes a while because it always does maybe like you go back to the starting line you have like 10 or 15 minutes left the starting line okay maybe you do some dynamic stretching until the five minute mark and then you do some strides and then you come to the starting line and you get ready for like the national anthem or whatever they're doing before the race and then you get going and then Again, not too, 
not too type A with like the, the structure because again, some things can pop up and you don't want like your routine to give you stress. God damn it. That's like the reason you have the routine in the first place, but you want some sort of thing that you could focus <laughs> on to be like, okay, this is what I'm doing right now. Again, race anxiety is still over there in the front seat, joining you along the way. But at the same time, you're not just sitting there and your mind is spiraling out of control, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just what ifing yourself to death. Yeah. So, all right, Missy, I hope that was helpful. If it wasn't, if you have any follow-up comments or questions, or anyone else for that matter, hop into the chat and feel free uh, to submit those. All right, we have a couple more questions here. Stephanie, I'll let you take the lead here. Was there one that you definitely yeah. wanted to hit? I know we're, we're at like the 45-minute sure. mark right now. Yeah, so let's yeah. get to the next one that you wanted to get to. I say let's go with the one, the question about having a tough race or a tough string of races. Um, okay, was that the first one on the list? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think, yeah. Okay, here it is. I, let's see, I'll read it out to you. Now, I'm just, I'm just going to read them out loud just for practice. I need to, I need to work <laughs> on my 1976 public speaking. Okay, I had a tough race, and I actually had a handful of tough races in the past year. How do I build trust in myself, again, that I'll have a strong race day up ahead? How do I build my mental strength back from a string of days that wore down my confidence? Yeah, I think uh, I think this is such an important question. Um, I think it can even pertain to kind of like what we were touching on earlier with um, like r- like workout anxiety and how that's connected to like race day anxiety um, and and being like you know, this is my final session, right? Like before the marathon, like I need to be able to nail like our example earlier, 10 to 12 miles, you know, at like marathon effort continuously, or else that means that like, I won't be able, you know, to run like the time that I want in the marathon. Um, I think with this question, the, the very first thing um, that I like to tell athletes who've had either a string of like tough days um, or like a singular like tough marathon, not just marathon, a single, a singular tough race that maybe wasn't reflective of the fitness that they showed in training is that like bad days, like off days are always flukes. And like the good days are not like the good days are the ones that are indicative of who you are, like, you know, what your fitness is. Um, And I always tell athletes, like, I don't like to put a lot of stock into those off days, but where that comes like where like kind of the exception is, is like, what can we learn and garner from those off days? Is it a fueling issue? Are there things there that we can like tangibly change and like, you know, really work towards um, to kind of like put our finger on like what caused that day to be an off day? Um, And I think it's that kind of also ties into like not like blaming yourself, right? And continuing to blame yourself and, you know, coming up with things like I'm not, I'm just mentally weak. I like, I'm not able to push through. Like so many times when I have athletes come to me, they're like, oh, you know, like i every like marathon I've raced, I've like hit the wall at this point. Like, I think I'm just not strong enough to push through. Usually that's not the case. Usually it comes down to other things like fueling, hydration, like, you know, maybe tweaks in training um, that you can make um, to kind of build your confidence in those pitfalls that have, that have happened to you maybe one time or maybe multiple times. Um, But I also feel like kind of developing yourself. And we've, we've spoken about this before, so that you're not consistently defining yourself by your performances and making sure that you like are really examining yourself like before, you know, each race and or each training block even and being like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to prove to myself that like, you know, like I can push through and I, I can have good days. Like that's in my opinion, like 
of course, like we all, we, all of us are human. We want redemption after tough days, but that's also not like a strong enough why uh, to be kind of heading back out there and like going after it. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like the types of conversations that I have with athletes that are trying to kind of build back after like a tough day, or like I said, a string of tough days, it comes down to like, I like to chat through like different identities, like how they're identifying themselves. Like what, like what buckets in their life are they really putting all of their self-worth into is one bucket, like full, like much more, like, and it means that much more to them, you know, and are, are we maybe putting too much into qualifying for Boston or, you know, that's just an easy example to use. Um, but really examining like why we're doing this and what we want to get out of it. Um, also like for me as a coach and Matt, like certainly weigh in here too. When I have new athletes who like are coming to me after like, maybe they've been self-coach or working with a different coach, you know, and they've kind of had this pattern. What it really, like what I really like to start with is like giving so much like love and respect to that person and telling them like, I believe in you so much and like your best days are ahead of you. And I don't want you to get so fixated on the fact that you've had X amount of bad days. And it's kind of like woo woo as it may sound like I'm such a big proponent of the fact that like, you know, it, you know, for those of us who are fortunate to have like parental figures or family figures in our lives that are kind of giving like unconditional like love, support and belief in ourselves. We really need that as adults, like all throughout our life. And I feel like for any coaches that are listening, it's such a unique place for you to be in order to be able to give that to someone and just acknowledge like, hey, you've been through the trenches and I'm so sorry that you have. And I like it sucks. It does. And like just acknowledging that, too, and not just kind of brushing it off and being, you know, like I sometimes I get into that pattern, too, where I'm like, no, oh, like your best days are ahead. If you could just see what I can see from objective perspective, but it's really difficult to see yourself from an objective and like outside perspective. Um, so a lot of times I have to remind myself, like, don't go straight to that and be like, don't worry. These were flukes. I can see your training. I can see your fitness. Um, but really just like extending so much love, kindness, and empathy, um, for an individual that has had like multiple, like tough goes. Um, yeah. That was very well said. Um, oh, thank you for sharing that. That was great. All, like, all around. Um, thanks. I have nothing to add on those points. I mm -hmm. think there is a segment of the population, too, especially people who are hard driving, yet maybe not working with a coach, who yeah. can also fall into a pattern where, remember, we say it was a, a, a tough day or a bad race. Yeah. Again, that is that is an opinion. Right. Okay, that very, is not the objective reality. When someone says that, they're not saying, like, because I developed knee pain with two miles sure. to go. They just say, <laughs> I got injured. Yeah. Right? They don't, right. There's no, like, hey, I had a tough race. Oh, what happened? I got hit by a car. It's like, that's not, sure. <laughs> yeah. that's not the narrative, right? right? They say, you should hear about this crazy race I just ran, right? Sure. Um, so it's like, okay. But really what they're saying is, it didn't meet my expectations. Yeah. Right. Very good point. So let's talk about where these expectations are coming from. Right. Mm -hmm. Are they born out of some sort of realistic reality of mm -hmm. how the race should go? And tied to that, the pacing strategy used in mm -hmm. that in that um, in that endeavor. OK. And I and, you know, I think this because talking from an expectations perspective, I think that's the first thing. Right. And yeah. you mentioned right at the beginning of your answer. And I think this was right on the money. Like looking at it like, hey, sometimes people make mistakes in races, and that's mm -hmm. fine. It doesn't mean you're a mistake. 
It just means that you may have made mistakes. Okay, well, let's learn Mm -hmm. from the mistakes. And if some of them is, hey, I keep going into these races and I'm not fulfilling what I think I should be doing in them, well, then maybe the expectations of what you can do in that race is flawed Mm -hmm. for some reason, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. that, again, I'm speaking from experience. I feel really confident about this because like I think this also ties into people who go into a race like aiming for a specific goal round number goal they've been looking at for years. So it's Mm -hmm. like, hey, I came to this race to break 20 minutes in the 5K. I came to Mm -hmm. this race to break 145 in the half marathon. I've been, this Mm -hmm. is why I, this is why I signed up for the race, right? Mm -hmm. You'll see that, right? So I'm going Mm -hmm. to a fast marathon. Why? Because I want to break this record, right? So whatever. And all that's, that's, that's understandable, but yet sometimes that doesn't mirror the reality of what you're going to the race day with from a fitness mm-hmm. or strength perspective or because the weather or things like that. So I think it's also important to learn from mistakes like this in terms of yeah. like, hey, I go into these races and I think I'm at pace level X, Y, Z for whatever reason because I saw like these workouts or using a pace calculator and mm-hmm. they're telling me I could run this pace and I go and I do it and it's not working for me. Well, let's learn from that, okay? So either that's not the reality of the situation for you as a runner right now, Mm -hmm. maybe in the future, just right now it isn't on that day, or maybe your pacing strategy hasn't been optimal in terms of like you're going out too fast or too Mm -hmm. hard or it's easy Mm -hmm. for you to get swept up in the early rush of runners or maybe mm-hmm. you're like pushing it too hard in the uphills because mm-hmm. you live in a hilly area and like you're taxing yourself you're burning out your matches too fast and all of a mm-hmm. sudden like you're you're um you know you're, you're you're not able to stay strong later in races or you're mm-hmm. going into a race and you're like again you're too hung up on i came to this race to do xyz right mm-hmm. i was training at my goal half marathon pace the whole time and now i'm gonna go do it hell or high water we saw some of this in houston Right, mm-hmm. where like it kept getting warmer throughout the day. Yeah, the sun came out again. It wasn't ridiculously hot, but it was hotter than people were used to. Mm-hmm. So it's all relative, mm-hmm. and it was just hot enough. I think I was joking with other people, um, even maybe in the, like the last live show about how like it wasn't warm enough for like mm-hmm. for certain people to like change. Like for some people, would be better off. It was like five to ten degrees warmer because they would have changed mm-hmm. their plan. But it was like yeah. just within the range where they thought they'd be okay if they just stuck mm-hmm. to the plan. And they had really tough days. And I yeah. think that, you know, when you go into a race or a cycle with like, hey, I'm here to do X. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that works out. But mm-hmm. sometimes you're not quite at that level yet, especially if you're yeah. self-coached, you're self-monitoring and you just mm-hmm. you, maybe you're, there's a blind spot for you. And again, all of these are completely fine. That doesn't make your doesn't mean you're bad at any of this. But we, mm-hmm. we all have blind spots. and You just have to reassess and say, OK, maybe there were certain things here that I did not quite understand going into these races okay that's fine i'm going to learn from those mistakes and i'm going to go into the next race maybe with a better feel for it like i'll give mm-hmm. an example from my past you know for me i was always a really pretty i was always pretty explosive on the track so i would do especially when i was focusing on 5ks i do these track workouts and i was like just bombing like 400 meter repeats 600 meter repeats and it was like all right like, matt you're ready to break like you know 19 in the 5k this week or whatever right just like again not like some amazing time but compared to some of the compared to like you know some of my training partners that was really good and it was really fun but like then i'd run like a 2015 and it was because mm-hmm. like I wasn't putting, I was like putting all my stock into these track workouts. Again, I was, wasn't sure. being coached at the time. I was just kind of taking them and running with people. And I wasn't building up my aerobic capacity 
to the degree where like the 5k is like mm. 93% aerobic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I was doing all this great anaerobic work, but that wasn't translating, mm-hmm. but I was basing mm-hmm. my 5k projected time on stuff mm-hmm. that wasn't related mm-hmm. strongly mm-hmm. to what that 5k pace really should be for me. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're making a similar mistake or something, sure. uh, maybe a mistake that's related to that. And I think mm-hmm. that again, it doesn't mean that you're doing anything like, you know, like I mean, you're a bad person or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, we've all made those kinds of mistakes in the past. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's something, if it's not anything that Stephanie mentioned, you're like, you listen to Stephanie, check sure. all the boxes. No, I am yeah. feeling properly. You know, I mm-hmm. am doing this. No, I am mm-hmm. doing that. Well, then maybe it's just an expectations game. And yeah. We need to maybe change some of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really great point. I was trying to think, I, I think this was a conversation that you and I had in the past. Um, maybe it was also with Peter, but um, I think you had mentioned in the past about like changing the goal to like, I, my goal is now to execute this marathon or this race really well versus like, like we said, like this, like very hard, like number goal. Um, and I, I think you, you used um, your example yourself of like, okay, the next time I race a marathon, my, my goal is to like be able to execute it in a way that I'm proud of. Um, and maybe like writing goals, you know, in a different way and framing it like that. I mean, inherently like do having a goal like that is going to get you to probably the best, like, you know, outcome, like paper outcome, um, that you're probably wanting, um, and that you have been kind of like focused on the whole time, but maybe focusing on the fact that like, Hey, I want to really like run this strong. I want to finish feeling strong. I want to have these like process more like process oriented goals along the way that are inevitably going to elicit like the outcome goals that you, you want. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it doesn't make you any less competitive either. It's right. not like, oh, these are water. These are JV goals. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Like these right. are goals for people who, who are, these are, these are goals for betas, not alphas, like kind of feel mm-hmm. to it. Like that's not at all. Like mm-hmm. I think about like my marathon goal, I have a 50 K in March, but I'm going to run a 50, I'm going to mm-hmm. run a marathon in May. Mm-hmm. My big marathon goal is to run the 10 K, the final 10 K at yeah. a very similar pace mm-hmm. than the um, first 10 K, you know, mm-hmm. and adjusting for elevation gain. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not an easy goal. That's a freaking hard goal. No. Right. Mm -hmm. And not only is it it doesn't just affect my race day execution, it also affects how I'm going to be training for this sucker. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. what do I need to do to put myself Mm -hmm. in a position to do that? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah, that that has plenty of downstream effects to how I'm mm-hmm. going to be training for the race. It's not mm-hmm. time oriented at all, has nothing. There's no like goal marathon pace kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. But it's a very tangible goal. It's something that has eluded me in the past. And I feel mm-hmm. like will probably make me a better runner if I can mm-hmm. execute in training towards, you know, executing on executing on that goal during the race. So I yeah. think maybe approaching it as a great point, Stephanie, about just maybe, you know, not just expectations, but just like the goals that you're setting for yourself on race day. Yeah. Right. We're about to hit an hour. I think that's yeah. kind of been our, our traditional. We got a couple other yeah. questions in the queue, but when the rambling runner is stepping to the <laughs> mic, we can't just assume that they're going to go by quickly. Stephanie, do you want to say anything before we get going? Maybe hint at what you're going to be mm-hmm. putting out on relay soon. Ah, oh, yes. Um, I, uh, you know, we're getting close. It is February 6th today when we're recording this. Um, everyone who is training for Boston is deep into the throes of training for it at this point. Um, so I will be publishing a piece um, tomorrow um, on four key sessions um, that I really like to incorporate with my athletes training for Boston. 
or I don't want to, I, I want, we always want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, these workouts that I'm going to share are also very specific to any type of race that has a lot of ascending or descending. So you don't have to be training for Boston specifically, um, but I built these in, um, you know, as part of our uh, Boston lead up um, in our relay group. I love that. All right, Stephanie, thanks again. Thanks, Matt.